0: Ephesians chapter five. I don't want to be long tonight. Just want to slow it down and do a little teaching, if I may, uh, out of the book of Ephesians chapter five. And uh, grateful that you're here tonight. Uh, the good cold weather is nice, and for that we're grateful. It seems like everything just kind of going in slow motion. Does it seem that way to you tonight? It's just like everything's kind of slow motion this evening. Ephesians five fifteen. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is." Now, the word circumcise, as used here in verse 15, comes from two Latin words which means looking around. Uh, In the Greek language, it basically means precision and accuracy. So, it could be properly read this way. See that you walk carefully with exactness. See that you walk carefully with exactness. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. See that you walk with carefully and with exactness. Why is that? <clears throat> because the days are evil. <clears throat> he wants to make sure that we're walking the way that we should. Now the opposite of that would be uh, the fact to be walking carelessly and without proper guidance or without proper forethought. Brothers and sisters, we cannot live the Christian life to a life of chance. And many times we just wake up every day, case Sarah, sera, and we don't know what the day is going to come forth because we make no plans. We don't know how we're going to walk. We just hope everything is going to work out for the best. But I believe that God is telling us that we need uh, to wake up every day and understand what the will of the Lord is. We must make wise decisions based on the will of God that comes from the heart of God. Uh, transported to you and to me. Now verses 14 and 15 are related here. The Apostle Paul was saying, don't walk in your sleep, wake up. Open your eyes, smell the coffee, if you will, uh, and make the most of your day. It's sad to see that many professing Christians uh, walk through life aimlessly, uh, much like an individual would walk at night in sleepwalking, not really know where they're going, but they're walking and making uh, all types of a havoc in their life. But yet, the, Paul presented several reasons why we should be accurate and why uh, we should be careful in our walk with the Lord. First of all, he said walking circumspectly, walking with accuracy and with wisdom and foresight. He said the reason for that, it's a sign of wisdom. Know what he said in verse 15. So then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Only a fool drifts with the wind and drifts with the tide. And that's the way many Christians live their life, which is like we're drifting with the wind, and we're drifting with the tide. I remember it's been many, many years ago. I left Lakeland Airport in a little Cessna 152, and I was going to fly up to Ocala. And during that time I didn't use my instruments I didn't use the VOR which is a radio signal that lines with one VOR to another and you follow that radio beam. I didn't do that. I've charted everything out there's a long complicated process uh, but nevertheless you've got to do all the math the winds and, and, and the speeds and all that stuff and you chart it out and you put the map on your lap. And as you take off I go five minutes from now I should look down and see a railroad track you got to do it all. I look down, there's a railroad track. I fly another five minutes, I look at my map, I should look down, and I should see a line of trees going north to south. I look, and there's a line of trees. I fly five more minutes, I look down, I should see a lake, and there it is, a lake. And you do that over and over until you get to your destination. You've already, you've already got all the headwinds in. Uh, you've got your magnetic current. Oh, I mean, there's a lot to it, but that's the way I was flying without the VOR. And finally, I get what I think pretty close to Ocala. I look down and I go, uh, I don't see the lake. There's supposed to be a lake here. I don't see a lake. I fly a little bit more in the same direction. My heading stays the same. But I, unbeknownst to me, the wind was blowing me this way as I'm going that way. You see, the winds are only as good as when you take the measurements. They can change while you're in the flight. And with that being said, I look down and I said, there's another airport, but it's not Ocala. I was lost only to find that I had flown all the way to Leesburg and not to Ocala. So, what I did is I simply did a 180 and I followed the same track back and the wind that blew me off course now blew me back on course and I was able to land in Lakeland. What did I say? The point is this brothers and sisters, we a wise man marks his course. He sets his sail and he guides his rudder in the direction that God wants us to go. Every day of our life God has a plan for our life and we need not just aimlessly be driven by circumstances, uh, driven by the winds of popularity, but God has a plan for our lives and He wants us to set ourselves accordingly and go in that direction. Now when a man builds a house one of the first things he has to do is get a blueprint and that blueprint tells us where everything goes I mean it's down to the T and you builders and contractors understand that much better than I it's not just taking a bunch of lumber and, and, and starting nailing it together and hope it works out for the best but we know where all the electric goes we know where all the plumbing goes we know where all the outlets goes we know where all everything goes and everything is fine because you follow that blueprint to make sure it is done to precision right Now, that does not mean that in our life that we won't have problems because nobody knows what a day is going to bring forth. But if we have a blueprint for our life which is the Word of God and we follow the teachings of God's Word and listen to the prompting of the Spirit of God, we may have setbacks but at least we're still on target, building a building. If if you, anybody builds you won't have hiccups. We all know that from this building. But if you have a plan even with a hiccup, you can still come back to that plan after the hiccup has been solved with me and the same thing is true in life it's good that we ourselves have some type of a plan based upon God's Word and because when unexpected problems come our way it may blow off, off course for a day or two but we know where to come back and how to keep on going for the glory of God. Now without the someone said years ago when the pilot doesn't know where he's heading no wind is the right wind. Paul reminded us in verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. It's like he's saying, buy up opportunity. Take advantage of it. An old Chinese adage said, opportunity has a forelook so you can seize it when you meet it. And once it's passed, you cannot seize it again. The old English word opportunity comes from the Latin word toward the port. It suggests a a particular ship taking advantage of the wind and a tide that will bring the ship right into the harbor where it's supposed to be. The brevity of life is an argument tonight to make the right use of the opportunities that God has given us. I say, friend, I don't care if you live to be a hundred years old. That is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity, Amen. and the fact that it is life is so brief. It's a candle that's really blown out. Uh, it, 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 it's something that's so short-lived, and I want to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to do the best I can for the glory of God. And I'm sure you're the same way. And Paul gets says because life is so brief. Take advantage of every opportunity you have to do something good for somebody. Take opportunity that you have uh, to tell somebody about Jesus Christ because life is so brief. Make good use of the time that God has given and God has allotted to every one of us. Next Paul reminds us the days are evil. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. In Paul's day that basically meant that the Roman armies could come at any time and could chop them down, could kill them, could get rid of them, and oblivate them off the face of this planet. Persecution was on the way. And Peter writes about that in 1 Peter chapter 4. Paul was basically saying take advantage of the time you have. PLANT THE SEED uh, WHILE THE the WIND IS BLOWING THE RIGHT DIRECTION AND WHILE THE SUN IS SHINING uh, BECAUSE OPPORTUNITY MAY NOT ALWAYS BE THERE FOR US TO DO WHAT WE ARE DOING NOW. HOW MANY TIMES I'VE HEARD IN MY LIFE WE NEVER APPRECIATED THE WATER UNTIL THE WELL WENT DRY? WE NEVER REALLY APPRECIATED THE WATER UNTIL THE WELL WENT DRY? And Paul is saying, because the days are evil. If the days were evil in Paul's days, what in the name of common sense are they like today? Come on. So therefore, we must take advantage of every opportunity that we have to invest in souls, to invest our time in prayer, to invest our time in God's Word, to invest our time in our family, to invest our time in each other. Because we don't know when the winds of opposition are going to change and come beating upon your home and beating upon my home and coming against the things of God. Because, friend, persecution may come out to the church of the living God like it never has before. Notice further that Paul says in the passage he's given us a mind. He said, therefore, in verse 17, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is understanding suggests a mind to discover the will of God too many Christians have the idea that the will of God is a mystery God does not want us just to know his will I believe God wants us to understand his will I I, I think sometimes we get the idea that the will of God is just something that poof there it is it doesn't happen that way too many times we ask God to bless what we're doing we need to take the time to know what God has blessed, so we can do it. Now, I remind you that the prepared way is not always the right way. The Bible lets me know that Jonah was running from the will of God, and yet the boat was prepared. It was a sunny day. Money was in his pocket, to buy the ticket to get on the boat to, fa- to, to sail as far away from the thing that God's calling as he possibly could. And yet, he was out of the will of God. Here he was out of the will of God but here he was a man on a boat in a storm out of the will of God. But then the Apostle Paul, he was in the will of God in a storm in a boat. So you can't go by circumstances all the time. You've got to follow the peace of God in your heart. And if you and not have the God of peace in our heart directing us, we know the God of peace is there to be with us wherever it is that we go in life. Many people think that God's just going to somehow poof and there's the will of God but no it's going to take some clear thinking. We discover the will of God as He transforms our mind. Think about this. As he transforms our mind. Paul the Apostle said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and acceptable, and perfect. Again, we discover the will of God as he transforms our mind. And this transformation is the result of God's word, the result of prayer, the result of meditation, the result of worship. God wants us not just to do his will, he wants us to understand it. Now, think about Joseph. I read the story of Joseph about 12 o'clock again last night. I couldn't get out. I just can't put that story down. Every time I read it, I find something else. But think about Joseph for a moment. God had given this man dreams, two of them, that basically his family would bow down before him. He was a spoiled brat. The coat of many colors basically meant not just a coat of many colors, but that coat allowed him to get out of any type of work, get out of any type of domestic things around the household. He was spoiled, and his brothers resented that. They wanted to kill him. But rather than do that, they threw him into a pit. He was later sold into a caravan of Ishmael's lights that were coming down the road. He finally got a job, if you will, in Potiphar's house. He was accused of sexual impropriety. They threw him in prison. Now, here he goes. How does he understand the will of God? God gave him a vision. He gave him to dream two different times. This is God's will, but how do you understand the prison? How do you understand the will of God Uh, while you're over there being accused of something you did not do? That's where the transformation took place. He went into that situation as a spoiled brat, but God was transforming him to be the man he wanted him to be. Do you see the wisdom in Joseph after 13 years in prison house? 13 years rather in Egypt, not prison, but in, in, the, in, in, in Egypt. He came out as a man of integrity, a man of maturity, a man of wisdom, to the point that he recognized that I understand the will of God. I don't always like the process. I don't always understand why God leads the way He leads. but well, do I know my guide as he leads me through these things of life? God just don't wants us to know His will. I believe He wants us to understand it. And more times than not, I and you, like Joseph, we'd have probably nagged and complained and said, God, it's not fair. You promised me this. I thought they were going to bow before me today. He didn't know had to wait 20 years down the road before it happened. But 20 years later, his brothers didn't even recognize him physically, and they certainly did not recognize the wisdom that exuded out of that young man. Many of you in this room tonight, perhaps, you struggle with God's will. I have. But I've come to the conclusion, God, you said something, you've promised something, you've shown something, and you will do that something. In the meantime, mold me and make me and give me the grace not to endure, but to enjoy the life I have now as best I can. Here, but, but I'm put together a little differently, aren't you? Aren't uh, we? Maybe that's why we're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. I don't know. But there are times I cry in the spirit, and there are times I cry physically because saying, God, your will be done. I can't wait for revival to hit this place. We've prayed. We've sought God. We believe him for great things. Do we understand what he's doing? He's preparing us for something great. So hold on, church, and let God have his way in your life. Again, we discover the will of God as He transforms our mind, and the transformations result to the Word of God, prayer, meditation, praise, and worship to our God. And since God gave us a mind, He expects us to use our mind. What do I mean by that? Learning involves getting all the facts, examining all the facts, weighing out all the facts, and praying for wisdom. remember years ago, a preacher came home and said to his wife, honey, We just got a call to pastor a church in Hawaii. I don't know what the will of God is, but you go pack while I go pray. (laughs) He didn't weigh it out. He didn't weigh it out. God wants to give us the mind that we use. God doesn't want to simply know His will. He wants us to understand His will. The will of God and the peace of God go together. I cannot exemplify that or stress that enough. If you and I are following the will of God, the peace of God will be in our hearts. Too many times we've jumped out to do things and God's peace was not there, but we tried to make it work. I've been there. Have you ever been? Can I just say something to you that hope this makes sense? We're just talking. You come in life and you come to a fork in the road and you go, do I go this way or do I go that way? Anybody ever been there beside me? Anybody there now? You come up to this fork, and you go, Lord, what do I do? I can't just sit here. I go left, I go right. So you pray, you meditate, you wait upon the Lord, you worship the Lord, and finally you sense, okay, God, I I need to go this way. And you take off, you go this way, and you find out, Lord, that peace isn't there. But it's too late, you can't back up. What do you do? You live it on out. Because in God's grace, these two roads will fork again here. And God gives you opportunity. And you learn through here, right? You've learned here. But those two roads will fork again. And God will give you the peace to go the way you need to go. We're not perfect people. We are forgiven people. And we are a work in progress. But I'll tell you, I've I've done this all my life. If I follow the peace of God in my heart, and I can be stubborn about things. I'm not going to do something just for the sake of doing it. I've got to have that peace. And my wife's been with me now close to 40 years, and she'll tell you, I don't do nothing until that peace is there. And God's never failed. I failed him, but God's never failed me. If you will follow the peace of God in your heart, you will have the assurance that God of peace is directing your steps. Now, God has a plan for our lives. Notice what Paul says from the text. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul alluded to this early in the epistle, uh, back in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. Since God saved us, God has a plan for our life. Since God saved you, He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. But do you feel like sometimes you're just sitting on a shelf and God's forgot about you? Do you ever feel like that God's using everybody else but not you? you ever feel like God's blessed everybody else but not you? Let me tell you something. God's preparing you for something. We don't read much in the Word of God about this man by the name of Ananias. But when God took him off the shelf and used him, he brought a saw of Tarsus to the Lord. And I believe that was a great, great work that God wrought through him. Over 18 years ago, I took a 10-month sabbatical from pastoring. I was in the highlight of God using us, and church was doing this, that, and the other. But all of a sudden, God released me. I thought to my wife, said, hey, we might be without of church for, you know, about a month. We'll enjoy the little rest. No, I didn't know if I was ever going to pastor again. I felt like that God just simply took me and stuck me in a closet for nobody to see. I was still teaching at the university, part time, full time, 16 hours a semester part time, 12 hours is full time load. I was preaching revivals here and there up and down the seaboard. But I felt like, God, where are you at? Where are you at? And I've learned that when God's getting ready to do something, there is a season of silence. There is a season of silence. He's not really speaking. He's already spoke. And we've got to rest in what he has said. But we don't like to rest in what he said. We've got to hear something more. Tell me again. Show me another way. What am I doing, Lord? And here I am. Vacuuming linoleum, watering artificial flowers, painting the house, saying, God, where are you? God knew exactly where I was at. I didn't know where I was at. I was in a position where God had placed me to renew my mind, to renew my thinking, to renew my body. I had been running on adrenaline for so many years that I needed to fill myself up again with the endorphins. For 10 long months, I sat on my pity pot saying, God, I don't even know your will. And here's the problem. If we don't let God speak to us originally, we begin to murmur and complain because of the quietness and the silence. But during that time, I was being renewed, and being renewed, and being renewed, and finally, on a 21-day fast, on the 13th day of that fast, God spoke to my heart and said, "New life." And I went, "Say what? New life?" And I came out of my prayer closet and said, "Donna, we're going to new life up on the north end of the town." I hadn't contacted anybody here; nobody here had contacted me. I guess it was about a week later. Greg Rakes or Greg Barnett, whom I did not know. Called me up on the phone, and said, "Hey, here you're not pastoring more. No, you consider it again, maybe. Fill us the resume out, sure. The rest is history." I want to tell you something. When I got back behind the pulpit again, it was a new man. It was a new man. There was joy and peace and boldness. You name it, God. Every field, refilled, refilled. refilled. It's enough for us not just to know the will of God, but to understand the will of God. God's will comes from God's heart. He does not imprison us necessarily. What I mean by that is he he, he doesn't try to hide himself. He wants to manifest himself. So in the bottom line, if you have heard from God and you don't understand what's going on, you feel like you're on the shelf, he's preparing you for something, beloved. He's preparing you for something. I, I've had this conversation with a friend uh, many, many times, and it's this. When God spoke to Noah, he spoke to him, to my knowledge, one time to build the ark. And for all those years, he's out there, that gopher wood and all that wood, and beating and banging and sawing and putting together. And if people come, what are you doing? I'm building a big old boat. What for? Oh, we're going to need it. <laughs> it hadn't it? What rain? What are you talking about? All the water comes up from the ground and from the streams keep on sawing, keep on nailing, keep on putting together. Had it been me, I said, God, are you sure I heard right? God, are you sure you spoke to me? And could you imagine his kids? Hey, Dad, I can't go to school no more, man. They, They think you're crazy. No, he heard one time, and he listened, and he obeyed, And then when the animals went on that ark and the door was finally closed by God and the deep came up and the rain came down, the ones that were ridiculing were now knocking, let me in, let me in. It was too late. You see, God does not hide his will. He wants us to know his will. And sometimes the will of God is easier to find than it is to live with. Are you with me? Sometimes the will of God is easier to find than it is to live with. But if we will follow that peace in our life. God saved you for a purpose. God has saved you for a plan. And it's up to you and me to discover that purpose and He will, he will guide us accordingly. He reveals His plan through His Word and through the working of circumstances. And we can walk carefully and accurately because we know God wants us to do like the builder with a blueprint, God wants to be the architect of our life and to make us in what He wants. Now, there's the introduction. <clears throat> Give me just a couple of minutes, if you will. I want to share a couple of things, really. I don't want to hold you long. Get home before the thermostat drops down much lower, right? The hour we live in church is late. The hour is extremely late. We must walk faithfully in this world with our God. Because if we are not walking faithfully with our God, we will not be fulfilling the will of God in this present world. Have you ever thought to yourself, why did God let you be born for such a time as this? Why not back in the Victorian age? Why not back in the Renaissance? Uh, Why not back in World War II? Why now has God brought us into the kingdom? Because there's gifts, there's talents, there's abilities that He wants to put in you and me that we can shine in this last day. Walk faithfully. The Bible said, seek out the old paths. What old paths? I think, church, we need to seek out the old path uh, back to the cross of Calvary and rediscover once again this Jesus that loves us and died for us. We need to seek out the old path back to an empty tomb and understand he overcame everything that was thrown at him, and therefore through Christ I overcame. Every, I can overcome everything that is thrown to me. I need to seek out the path again to the upper room and be filled with the Spirit of the living God not just have a doctrine of it, but know in reality and the totality that God wants me filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever we do for the Lord, church, we better do it quickly. Yeah. The hour's late. The day is evil. We live in a very evil, evil time, as you well know. It's getting worse. I don't get to bore you with statistics and bore you with all that's going on in the world. You read it. You see it. There's corruption in our politics. The more I see about the political system, the sicker I get. On both sides of the aisle. Not only are we fighting the enemy, the enemy's fighting us. What are we doing these evil days? Having done all to stand, stand therefore with the whole armor of God upon you. Pulling down strongholds, proclaiming the Word of God, and expecting the Lord to confirm His Word today. Church, do not be afraid to live in America. Don't be afraid to let your light shine. Don't be afraid of the evil that's around us. Don't put your head in the sand, but come out of the closet, if you will and stand boldly for our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ because when evil is all around us that's the greatest time for the antiseptic of the gospel to be shared in this world. Think of the evil people. What do we often do? We run from them. We don't anything to do with them, but if we as Christians pull back from talking to those people they'll never be saved. I find myself praying for some of these folk in the world today that, uh, that, that are the movers and the swingers in entertainment and singing. I have prayed for Rod Stewart for years. Anybody know him? I would to God tonight you would pick out somebody on television. The Rachel Maddows, the Don Lemons of this world. The women on The View. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. Pick out some of these movie stars, some of these basketball and football stars. Many of these people, they, they, they're the epitome, I hate to say it, they're epitome of evil. But if a Joy Behar could get saved. If some of these people could get saved that are in the house. If a Joe Biden and a Kamala Harris could get saved. If some of these political figures, if they could get saved. Friend, let me tell you, the world could be transformed in their world. But we need to be like that man who bypassed two meals a day to pray for his prodigal son to come home. Would to God that he'd put a burden on my heart that I could pray and fast for the evil people of this world. Somebody prayed for me, yeah. somebody prayed for you, somebody prayed for us, and it can't happen for Oh, God save the lost. That's not going to do it. Intercession must be made. When Zion travails, sons and daughters will be birthed into the kingdom of God. If Zion does not travail, will sons and daughters be birthed into the kingdom then? May God lay on my heart and yours the ability to put in some carpet time, some knee-mail, if you will, to the throne of God for people to be saved. The hour late. The day is evil. But our mission is clear. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go to your next door neighbor. Go to your friend that you work with. Go to your colleague. Do not be ashamed of this Jesus that we know and this Jesus uh, that we serve. The mission is clear. Lift up your eyes and look upon the harvest field. Sometimes we can't see the tree for looking at the forest. It's like looking at an elephant. Which part do we eat off first? You know what I'm talking about? There's so many unsaved in this town. People that you and I will rub elbows with from time to time. But if you and I are not that light to them and that witness to them, they're going to go off into eternity. I'm going to make a bold statement. You don't have to agree with me. You'd be wrong if you want to. <laughs> we often say there's no tears in heaven. And that's true but not right now. I personally believe that heaven is lined up with tear stain of people, Christians that have made it, but have looked back and reminiscing, thinking about the opportunities they've missed while being upon this earth. That's my opinion. I don't find Jesus wiping away the tears into the latter part of the book of Revelation, long after the great tribulation. Then he'll take his hands and wipe away all tears and the former things will pass away then. He didn't say he's doing it now. And I just wonder, are there saints of God in heaven today looking through eternity with tear-stained eyes thinking about all the opportunities that came our way that we let just bypass us? As I said earlier, one of the greatest fears I have is standing before God and looking at the record of what I could have accomplished that I didn't. People I could have talked to that I wouldn't Things I could have done for the Lord that I did not do. That, my friend, puts a holy terror in my heart. And sometimes, I ain't gonna talk about you you'll talk about me. Sometimes I can be so selfish that I spend more for what I want to do than maybe what the Lord wants me to do. Does that happen for you? I didn't say you all said me. But I think we all in that same mold sometime. Again, the hour's late, the day is evil. The mission is clear. Go get the harvest. But power is available. In Luke 24:49, when Jesus rose from the grave he told the disciples, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They went and they labored there in that upper room and they waited not for a time but for a season. And when the day of Pentecost, which is all about the harvest, Pentecost of the biblical day was not about tongues, It was not about the the, the hoopla. It was about harvest. The machine was sitting there, but it had no oil in it. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Spirit of God came down upon them, empowered them. The Holy Ghost came down. The disciples went out, and great works were wrought for the glory of God. Today the machine of the church sets here. It sits around the world. As we said this morning, we're losing ground with Christianity in America. As I said this morning, more people have faith uh, belief in a devil than they do in the Lord. 51% of Americans polled today believe in God, but 56% of Americans believe in the devil. More believe in Satan than believe in God. More believe in the created one than the one that created. And the church is losing ground. Churches are closing. Pastors are walking away. I'm going to tell you, if we're not full of the Spirit of God, it's easy to sit down on our pity pot and hang up our harps from the willows much the same way that Israel did as they went into Babylonian Babylonian captivity. But oh, there's a power. There's an anointing. And the Lord said, in the last day I will pour out. So, once again, in closing, church, let me just simply say, the hours late, the days are evil. The mission is clear, and thank God there is power available. In the book of Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind. He sees a valley of dry bones, and he prophesies, and the bones come together. Flesh comes upon the bones, and there they are, a great army of lifeless, dead people had the structure of being alive but really dead, had the structure of being a great army but no power, had the structure of being a great war machine but nothing in them at all that would even move, but prophesy that the wind would come and when the Spirit of God came into them they were a people to be reckoned with. The church today looks much like it's alive. The church has modern day equipment, we have everything that we need with the exception of what makes the church, the church, the power of God.